So far in this series, we've been looking at the women of Christmas, and it's not the typical women that you think of, right? It's the women in the genealogy of Jesus, right? There's only four women listed in that long, long genealogy in Matthew 1. And so two, well, two Wednesday nights ago that we had, it was actually three weeks ago, we talked about Tamar, and we talked about how God used her to establish the tribe of Judah, that, that Jesus would ultimately come from, and how she was able to step out in courage and uh, do something that I think most of us would see or would view as wrong or bad. And she did that in a way to preserve herself and to preserve uh, her, the lineage of her family. And then last week, we looked at Rahab and how even though she had lived a very... Uh, ungodly life up until the point that she met the Israelite spies, she was still able to put her faith and her trust in God and to help his people conquer Jericho and ultimately take what was the promised land and how God was faithful to her. And we even looked at how she had to hang the scarlet cord from her window and how that, how that pertained to the blood of the lamb that the Israelites put on their doorframe during the Passover. And we saw how God's truth of delivering his people came through that story. And we're going to see this again tonight. And we're going to start to start to really see in these stories how these women, how their stories and their lives really point to Jesus. Like, and I think it's interesting because we read that genealogy in Matthew and we come across all these names. Like, I mean, you can read them. They have way too many consonants for me, so I, I, it's very hard to read them. But you can read them, and you can sit here and go, I don't know who any of these people are. <clears throat> all these names, all these men that it lists, we don't know who they are. There are a few, like King David. We obviously know a lot about him. But we also look at these women that are listed, these four women, and we look at their stories, and we see that they were specifically noted in this genealogy because... Not only were they important because they were in the line that led to Jesus, but they were important because their lives and their stories pointed to Jesus. And it showed us who Jesus is. And we've seen some kind of themes come out of these women. Like one, we've seen them do bold things and put themselves at risk because of their faith in God. Like, and I think that's something that God still calls us to do today, right? Is to step out and do things to serve him. Like maybe invite someone to church or share our faith with a friend or, or you know, try to, try to teach the gospel or share the gospel with others. Like these are things that God calls us to do, not just as adults and not just as like ministers, but as Christians. Like that's something that each and every one of us are called to do. <clears throat> and we see that these women have done these things, have stepped out in faith in God in a place that would get them ridiculed, not just publicly, but possibly physically harmed, that they have stepped out in their faith in God to do bold things. So we've seen that, but we've also seen another theme, that all of these women were not Israelites. And that's a very interesting thing to look at because, and we've talked about this, how in the New Testament, when Jesus came, Everyone thought that his gospel and that like Christianity was just for the Jewish people. 
Like they were like, oh, we can only teach this to Jewish people, not to Gentiles, which is basically just non-Jewish people. And we look at this and we see that God used multiple non-Israelite women to fulfill his plan of Jesus. And And in one way, you could almost look at it as that Jesus' heritage is not just Jewish, right? That his heritage, his line, comes from the Canaanites, comes from what we're going to look at tonight, the Moabites. It comes from all these different ethnicities, and it just shows to us that Jesus didn't just come to die for the Jewish people. And then the fact that these women are in here shows that Jesus didn't just come to die for men, but it shows us that Jesus came to this earth lived a perfect life, and died a sacrificial death for all people. All people. No matter what your backstory, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter who you are, no matter who your parents are, no matter what your parents have done, no matter anything at all in your life, Jesus came and died for you. And we see this spelled out through the stories of these women. So we look at this story again. And we have another non-Israelite woman who has boldness and courage. And her name's Ruth. And I'm sure many of you know the story of Ruth. Okay, it's a very popular story. In fact, she's one of the few women who have an entire book of the Bible named after her. And if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to be in the book of Ruth tonight because that's where this story takes place. But what do we know about Ruth? She's a... She's a Moabite woman, okay? She marries into an Israelite family, right? So she she marries into the family of a man named Elimelech, okay? And I know that sounds really weird, but that's his name. Don't take it up with me, okay? And Elimelech has a wife named Naomi, And we know that they had two sons. Okay? Now the interesting thing that we see here is that if you read the genealogy of Jesus, you don't see Elimelech or any either of his sons in the genealogy of Jesus. So when we know that Ruth married into that family, we might start asking ourselves, how exactly does this take place? You know, how do we see this again? And, and we look back at that story of Tamar, remember? And you think that coming from the tribe of Judah, that, that it would be through his wife, Judah's wife, and his sons that his line would be carried. But ultimately, it was through Judah and Tamar who had a son that carried on the line. And again, we're going to see God work in a miraculous way to continue the line of Jesus through the story of Ruth. So... <clears throat> We're going to fast forward about approximately 10 years or so into Ruth's marriage. Okay, at this point, Elimelech has died, and both Ruth and the other son's wife, Orca, both of their husbands are now dead as well. Okay, and so we look at this family structure, and now all of a sudden, instead of having a dad and a mom and two sons and two wives, we have a mom and two daughter-in-laws, okay? 
And we looked at in the story of Tamar, if you remember, about how widows in this day or women who were not married to a husband or their husband had died were social outcasts, right? They were looked upon as like just virtually scum of the earth, like no one wants to take care of them, no one wants to help them. They have to wear different clothes. They have to like just live different lives. Basically, they become virtually homeless in this moment. And so when Naomi comes to this realization that not only is she in this position, but that both of her daughters-in-law are in the same position, she turns to them and she's looking out for them and she tells them to do the only thing that she can think that they should do and tells them to return to their father's home. And yes, You still have to live as a social outcast, as a widow, but at least she'll be in her father's home where she will have food and be provided for. And so we're going to start our story there. We're going to start our story with Naomi trying to tell Orca and Ruth to go back to their father's house. And we're going to start in Ruth 1, starting in verse 11. And Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am going to have, I'm not going to have any more sons Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you want to wait until they are grown up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And at this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And so we see this critical moment where Ruth is choosing whether or not to return to her home, return to the ways of her people, like it talks about their traditions and their gods. And, and so we know that she is returning into a place where she is worshiping a false god. And I think that's a real important piece here. Because I, I think on one hand, we like to look at Ruth as like this super faithful person to Naomi. Like, I want to be with you, Naomi, till the end of this. Like, I want to stick with you. And I, and I think Ruth had a piece of that. Like, I definitely think she was, she was a, a committed person to her mother-in-law. And wanted to to help her and to see her out. But ultimately, I think the biggest factor in this is that Ruth understood the importance of having faith in a one true God. And she saw going back home as not just leaving her mother-in-law, not just leaving her family, not leaving the Israelite tribe, not leaving the promised land. But she ultimately saw it as leaving God. And I think she said to herself... Even though Naomi's sitting here saying that God is punishing her through the death of her husband and her sons and leaving her as a widow, the God that would punish or the God that that would 
be God in a bad situation is still a God worth committing my life to. And I think that's a really critical piece to see here because I think for, for most of us as humans, it's easy to be a Christian when our life's going good. Right? When, when things are going well, when like church is like, you know, kind of chill and like not a lot of drama, and, which is never for me, but whatever. But when like life's going well, you know, you're, you're doing really good at reading your Bible every day and, you know, you're, you're having good prayer time, you know, and like, oh man, you just, you found a $20 bill on the side of the, the road. Like what in the world? Like this is so good. Like it's easy. But at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of something going wrong, at the first sign of sickness, at the first sign of emotional distress at the first sign of anything not going your way we turn on God immediately we go why do you allow this to happen to me why God we start questioning and we say things like how can there be a God with all these problems in the world it's a question that almost everyone asks at some time in their life and we sit here and we go, why does God allow this to happen? Or how can a God be good that allows this sickness to affect my family? And we turn on God in that moment. But we look at Ruth in this story. And we see Naomi doing a little bit of this. I mean, we ultimately know that Naomi is faithful And that she trusts in God because she glorifies God with what happens later. But we see her in this moment saying, God is punishing me for some reason. I don't know why, but God has taken everything away from me. What she didn't see there is ultimately that God was setting her up for what happens in this story to deliver her. And so let me tell you right now, I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what, what struggles have come into your life or what things have made you turn your back on God for a short period of time or maybe for a long period of time. But the God who is the God of the good times in your life is also the God of the bad times of your life. And he is the only thing that can deliver you out of that bad stuff. And you know what? We find lots of ways to deliver ourselves out of that bad stuff. Whether it's addictions, whether it's toxic friendships, whether it's whatever you want to, like whether it's, you know, unhealthy behavior. Whatever it is, we find ways to, to, to try to deliver ourselves from this bad place. We try to make ourselves feel better. But in reality, all it does is it digs the hole a little bit deeper. The only thing that can deliver us from these bad times is God. And I think Ruth sees that right here. And she sees in this moment, she goes, man, everything's going so bad right now. My father-in-law's dead. My husband's dead. My brother-in-law's dead. I'm stuck here with my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. And we're all three widows. And we're basically going to live as homeless people for the rest of our life. Nothing is going right. And instead of turning from God and running back to her gods and her people, she instead leans in and says, no. 
Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Because your God is my God. She leans in to her faith, to her trust in God. She binds herself to Naomi and says, we will be one. And we will be one together in our faith in God and in our service to God. I think that's important for us to see in this story. So what happens next? So they decide to travel to a nearby farming community, okay? Because they were living in and around Jerusalem, which was more of a big city. And they realized that there was nothing for them in a big city, right? Like they could beg and just be like the side of the road stuff that's in a city. Or they could try to... Do something. And so what they decide to do is they decide to go to a nearby farming community. You may have heard of it. It's called Bethlehem, okay? Which is an important part of the story because ultimately we see the tribe of Judah, the line of David, come from Bethlehem, which is where Jesus would ultimately be born. So we see them take this journey, a similar journey that we see Mary take to Bethlehem. And we see them do this because, there, like I said, there was nothing for them in Jerusalem. And so they go to Bethlehem because there was lots of farmland. And they knew that they could glean off of other people's harvest, which basically meant, it sounds like stealing. And I mean, I guess it kind of was, but it really, it, it was a horrible way of stealing, okay? So basically what you would do is as the harvesters would go around and cut the stalks of wheat down and throw them in their sacks, you know, they're cutting the big stock and they're throwing the whole thing in their sack. And they're not worried about losing like little pieces of wheat off of it. They're wanting the big stocks, right? So they're cutting the stock, throwing it in, cutting the stock, throwing it in, cutting the stock, throwing it in, moving along. And Ruth would go behind them with her own much smaller bag. And she would pick up this scrap. And she would pick up that scrap. And she would pick up this scrap. And she would work all day long just to get enough wheat to survive on for that day. Because she was getting tiny little pieces. This is what her life had become. Was literally working from sunup to sundown to just get enough food to stay alive. And... We see her do this. She doesn't make Naomi get out there and do it with her. She does it for her. She provides for her mother-in-law. Again, showing this commitment to her. And we see her one day gleaning off of a field of a man named Boaz, which may sound familiar from last week because he is the son of Rahab. So now we, we get a little kind of picture of the context of this story, right? Because we know that this story is happening one generation removed from the Israelites going through Jericho. Like we like to think that Jericho was like, oh my gosh, back in the olden days when the Israelites were wandering the desert. And now this story takes place in like the new Jerusalem, you know, and everything. Well, no, this is one generation removed from the Israelites just getting to the promised land. So, 
she finds herself in Boaz's field, which was kind of convenient because one day Boaz comes along and sees her. And most people, if they were to see someone gleaning off their fields, even though they're not going to use those tiny little scraps, would have them punished. So already we know that Ruth is stepping out in boldness and encouraged to do something that could get her killed or arrested. We see Boaz, who says, who is this woman? And his servants tell who it is. And in this moment, he realizes that not only is this a woman who is widowed and is trying to take care of herself and her mother-in-law, he realizes that Ruth is actually a part of his family. Okay, so he is of the tribe of Elimelech. And and so in this moment, Boaz, I I think that he wants to help her knowing that he is family and he wants to help her knowing the situation. I think Boaz is really kind of a stand up guy. Like, I think he wants to help and provide for these people who really have no hope. And so he he goes to her. And he has compassion towards her and allows her to to work alongside and to share with his female servants. Okay? And he did what he could to provide for her in that moment. And, And I feel like that he was trying to think, like, how else can I help her? But he's like, this is really all I can do right now. And so after a long day of working and harvesting and she goes back to Naomi and she tells her all that happened. And Naomi is glad when she hears this because she realizes that Boaz is of their same tribe, of their same family. And she comes up with a plan. And I think that this is where a lot of people say, see Naomi as like this greedy person who's trying to like use Ruth to like better her life. But I really don't think that's what Naomi was doing here. I think Naomi was wanting a better life for Ruth. In the same way that she tried to send Ruth back to her family, I think she's trying to send Ruth off to Boaz and she thinks that she may not get anything out of it. She thinks that Boaz may take Ruth as his wife and that Ruth will be provided for, and that God will take care of her, and that Naomi will probably live a horrible existence and maybe even die. I think that's what's going through Naomi's mind here, is I need to provide for Ruth while I am still alive. And so she comes up with this plan, and she tells Ruth to go to Boaz after he has eaten and drink, drunk, drinking, drinking, okay, eat, eaten and drank, okay, and he lays down for the night, and she tells Ruth to go in and to, uh, this sounds really weird, but to uncover his feet and to lay at his feet. Basically to lay at the foot of his bed. And this sounds really weird. And the crazy thing is Ruth wasn't even supposed to be in the room where Boaz was sleeping. But she goes in there anyway. She takes courage and she places her faith that that Naomi has 
told her what God has intended for her to do, right? And that, that God will protect her in this situation. And so she goes in to this room and she lays down at Boaz's feet. And when he wakes up, you got to imagine they don't have like lights or, I mean, they probably had candles, but they didn't have like a way to like light it or anything. So it's pitch black where he is. And he, he just realizes there's someone in the room with him. And he's like, who's there? Who are you? And she says that she is Ruth. And that she is wanting him to redeem her. And this is the first time we hear about this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And so we know kinsman is, the, is a word that really goes to like your family, right? Like your kin. So a kinsman would be a family member and a redeemer is someone who then, <clears throat> like we talked about with, with Tamar, when her husband died, her brother then had to marry her. So her, her, her brother-in-law would have been her redeemer. Like it would have saved her from her life as a widow. And, and so a kinsman redeemer is simply just a family member who then marries you to redeem you out of the life that you would live and to bring you back into like societal good standing. <clears throat> and so Boaz wakes up and she just says, I am Ruth, your servant, <clears throat> and I'm asking you to cover me and to, to redeem me as my kinsman redeemer. And I look at this again, and I look at what a beautiful picture of salvation this is right here. Because we look at what salvation is for us as humans, is it's us crawling, broken, hungry, homeless, lost, and crawling to the feet of God. And when God acknowledges us and says, who are you? We look up and we go, I am your servant. And I'm asking you to redeem me. To make me yours. And just like God does for anyone who steps into that place and calls upon him for redemption, Boaz says, Ruth, your faith has allowed me to be able to redeem you. And he not only says he's going to redeem her right then, like that's one thing, he could have just said, yeah, I'll redeem you, leave me alone, when we wake up tomorrow, we'll figure it all out. He says, no, I'm going to redeem you But before you go, take this food for you and Naomi and take this to protect yourself as you leave this room because if you are seen leaving this room, you could be harmed because she wasn't supposed to be there. So we see Boaz do this amazing thing. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that Boaz was, was God-like, but we see an example of the redemption power of God in this moment in Boaz's room, 
Right? We see Boaz act as God in this sense that he has redeemed and provided for and protected Ruth in this situation. <clears throat> and this story seems to be going so great. Right? Like at this point you're like, wow, what a great story. But there's one problem. They realize that there's actually one kinsman that is closer related to Ruth than Boaz. Meaning that it is his right as the next of kin, the closest relative, to redeem Ruth. It's his responsibility. And so Boaz takes it upon himself to arrange a meeting with the elders of the community who would help to affirm this decision and this other kinsman. And we see an interesting exchange happen here in Ruth 4. Starting in verse 3. Then Boaz said to the other kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line, and I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, so, so the other kinsman says, I will redeem it, okay? And so this beautiful story that we've seen laid out and and Boaz saying that he's going to redeem Ruth and Naomi, all of a sudden this other kinsman's like, "Uh, nope, I call dibs. And we see this story seem to like crumble right before our face. But Boaz is wise here in this moment. And he realizes that this guy just wants Ruth and Naomi for the land, right? He wants it for the property. He wants it for the, the financial benefit of it he doesn't want to provide for Ruth he doesn't want to provide for Naomi he just wants to take advantage of them and so Boaz says to him on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabite you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so he basically says if you redeem them And you buy their land and you get their land. You are responsible for taking care of them. I'm not going to let you not take care of them. And at this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. What a roller coaster ride this is. You know, and I'd like to think that Ruth was not present for this interaction where these men are like, you take her. No, you take her. No, you take her. Like, that would be a little hurtful. Like, I'd be like, someone please take me. Like, but we see in this moment, we, and we know that Boaz wants to, he wants to be that redeemer. He wants to take care of Ruth. He wants to provide for her. He wants to protect her and, and make her his wife. And so this man says, oh, I'll redeem her. It's my responsibility, my right. I get the land, I get the money. Ha ha, Boaz, it's mine. And Boaz says, wait a minute. You have to do the responsible thing and take care of them. And the man goes, a widow? Two widows? No, thank you. That is going to make my estate 
look bad. And I think that this, like, really, I, I, I think up until this point, we think, oh, man, Boaz, what a great guy. Like, Boaz is awesome, right? A really, like, generous, kind-hearted man. And I don't think it's until this moment that we realize how much Boaz was really risking here. Like, everything that's led to this point has put not just Ruth at risk, but put Boaz at risk. And so we see in this moment that Boaz then says, fine, you leave, I will redeem Ruth and Naomi. And we look at this and we see the truth of the gospel come through this story. And I think that this is why not only is this story in scripture, but I think that Ruth's name is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus is because this story, this experience of the redemption of Ruth and Naomi is a perfect picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus steps in and when everyone else, the world and everyone else says, I want nothing to do with that person. Jesus says, I want that person. I want to redeem that person. That person that no one wants. That person that you're afraid is going to hurt your social standing by associating with them. That person that is just an outcast. I want them. Like that's what we see Boaz do in this moment. And it's a perfect picture of what we see Jesus do with his life. Because Jesus could have just saved a small number of people. Like, like God has the ability, if he wanted to, to like, just be like, okay, I'm going to close these people's ears to the gospel and only save like the Jewish people. Like He could have done that. But Jesus looked at each and every one of us in here. He looked at each and every person who is alive on this earth. He looked at each and every human that has ever existed. And he looked at them and he said, I want to redeem them. Individually. What a great story. Not just the story of Ruth. That is a great story. But what a great story about the redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. As we look at this, we look at these stories and we look as we move closer to Christmas and we look at the story of Jesus coming to earth to do exactly what we're talking about tonight, to redeem humanity we should be so, so grateful. And we should spend this time, we should spend this holiday, <clears throat> not worried about what we're getting for someone for, as a gift, not worrying about what our travel plans are or where we're going or who we're spending the holiday with, but instead we should spend this holiday season glorifying God for the wonderful work of redemption that he has done in our lives through the birth of his son, Jesus.
we look at this story, and this story really has a cool ending. If you read the last chapter of the book of Ruth, it's only chapter 4. You can read the whole book of Ruth in like 20 minutes. But we see its own genealogy at the end of this story. I want to read the end of Ruth to you guys here real quick. If I can find it. Ruth 4, verse 13. says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given, birth, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And if you're reading this as a Jewish person, you, don't, you have to understand the importance that that last line had. Right? That, this, that, that Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. The greatest king, the one who redeemed Israel, came from this story. Through her faith and boldness, Ruth is blessed with a son who would ultimately be the grandfather of King David. But the real headline of this passage is not that Ruth is related to King David. We kind of already knew that. But the real headline here is in verse 14. And I think when the women said this to to Naomi, I don't think they really understood exactly what they were saying. But they said to her, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel, renew your life, and sustain you in your old age. Do you realize that in this moment, the women are talking about Obed, right? And they're talking about Ruth and Obed is who they're saying. But in reality, if you read this, it perfectly describes exactly who Jesus is in the New Testament. It says, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. And it's not talking about a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. It's talking about because God has provided for Ruth, the line to Jesus will continue and will ultimately leave you with a true redeemer. And may he become famous throughout all Israel. We know, we know that definitely happened with Jesus. And may he renew your life. I don't know about you guys, but in that moment, not only do we see the story of Jesus play out through this whole story of Ruth, but in that last passage, we see the reason that these women are listed in the genealogy of Jesus is because they were essential to the story of Jesus. We see exactly why these women are the women of Christmas because without them and their faithfulness and their boldness to step out and do the things that God called them to do, there would be no Jesus. Like we have to understand that. 
And then we have to look at ourselves and we have to say, if I don't step out in boldness and do the things that God calls me to do, what am I possibly affecting in God's plan? Because I think for each of us, we go, man, God tells me that I'm supposed to share the gospel with my friend, but that is scary. I'm not bold enough to do that. But if you don't share the gospel with that friend, that friend may never hear the gospel. And you have to come to terms with the fact that you had an opportunity to share eternal life and eternal redemption through Jesus Christ and an eternity spent in heaven with that person. And instead, you chose to let them continue down a path that leads to eternal separation from God in hell. And I don't mean for this to take a dark turn tonight, but it's a real, it's a true reality check for us. That we look at these stories of these women and their boldness and we go, wow, that's awesome that they were bold. But we have to understand the truth that comes behind this. That were these women not this bold and were these women not willing to carry out God's plan to an extent that could have cost them their lives. There would be no redemption story for us. And so as we move through this holiday season and we move through this series, look at yourself. Look at the opportunities you have to follow God, no matter how much boldness, no matter how much courage, no matter how much damage you could take in that moment. And realize that following Jesus has eternal benefit. But in the same way, not following Jesus has eternal consequence. Guys, I, I, I truly, truly, and I say this all the time, and, and, and I hope you guys really know that I truly love you guys. Like, you are my kids. You are my students. You're, you, you are my family. Like, I love you guys. And I want you guys to understand the importance of this. Like, and I understand this is a deep topic and this is a hard thing to talk about, but it's just a reality. Like, it takes boldness to be a follower of God. It takes boldness to serve the kingdom of God. And we have to look at the boldness that these women had and we need to reflect it with our lives. So I hope as we go from here that you guys can reflect on that and you can understand the importance of having boldness and serving God with your life. Let me pray for you guys and uh, we'll get out of here. God, thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for these students that are here and I just pray that you would give them boldness, God, that you would help them to understand the importance of having courage to do what you've called them to do, to not allow whatever obstacles come up in their life, whatever factors change their perception of you, God, that they would ultimately just be faithful to you and to seek after you and to serve you with all that they have. I pray that each and every student would leave here with a mission and a purpose to do your work in their life, God. I pray that you would give them the, the wisdom, the strength, and the courage to do that. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.